Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada, streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, and sometimes the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is October 23rd, 2022, and this is episode 191 of the Workshop Podcast. And in just a minute, we're going to bring Andy on. He's a friend of the community, a member of the community, and of course, a tech head, loves to talk about tech. So we'll bring him on. Real quick, we'll get the announcements out of the way, guys. Number one, Patch of the Month Club. Just wanted to put out some feelers there to you guys. I had one person message that said they hadn't received their patch yet this month. So if anyone else hasn't, just reach out to me and let me know. Oh, all I can say is Canada Post. So we are probably going to look at alternative avenues to get them to you if this becomes an ongoing issue, but I will make sure it uh, works and is in the right way for you. And I'm going to send out replacement patches ASAP to anyone who hasn't got them yet. Also, though, I've had a couple of people express interest in doing a sticker of the month club as well. So if you guys are interested in something like that, just, just give me some feedback. Love to know. Uh, always looking for something to kind of add to it. And the Telegram group, guys, this is where uh, Andy pops in on occasion. So if you ever have tech questions, things you want to know, uh, he's the guy, the guru, the man to talk to. So if you have not joined Telegram, or at least our Telegram group, and you want to interact with the community, if you've got knowledge you want to share, or you just, just people you want to interact with, come by, join the workshop community. Link is in the description. And finally, since we're talking tech, today's tool is the Anchor USB-C four-port desktop charger. I love that thing. It's a little on the expensive side, $69.99, but that thing's built like a brick, just like everything Anchor. So keep an eye out for it when it goes on sale because the Anchor stuff does. Links in the, in the description. And that's the one of the easiest ways to support the workshop is pick up anything through Amazon and use the links. Okay, so without further ado, let's bring on my brother, Andy. How are you, sir? Hey, Tim, I'm doing well. How about you? Not bad. Wasn't, uh, I don't even say three weeks ago. How long has it been since we sat down and had supper together? Something like that. Three weeks at self Lions. Yeah. That was a good meal, too. We had a good time. It yeah, it was real real fun. Gene, uh, hello, Gene. Good to have you. Somebody said my link on Facebook page for your company is broken, by the way. So, <laughs> I, yeah, good tech. That's a good start to a, a tech-related conversation, hey? Indeed. It's, uh, it's how they go often. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been uh, frigging with uh, TikTok. My um, website link isn't working real good over there. So I, I don't know what's going on. Doesn't matter. We'll get to the bottom of it. But so what have you been up to, my friend? Uh, we're uh, just trying to get everything buttoned down for winter with uh, we have a little homestead as well as um, I actually don't do anything with tech uh, other than as a hobby, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so got some sheep sold in the last few weeks, got some different sheep bought decided that they're going to get to breed one time and then they're going to the butcher. Um, as I was standing uh, outside my barn the other day and these three ewes just, uh, I didn't see it, but seeing aftermath, I'm pretty sure one of them ran full speed into a piece of cattle panel fence, knocked it down, flopped around on the ground for a minute. And then she and the other two took off for the hills. <laughs> so that was when I decided that I really, was wanting them to breed this winter, which they're going to do. And then probably in the spring, they're going to be lamb chop. Going to go to freezer camp, are they? Yep. Nice, nice. How's work been going? Pretty good? Yeah, not too bad. I uh, do uh, vehicle testing for my day job. 
and uh, have been getting to play in uh, our cold cell. So uh, I, uh, when we were at Self-Reliance Festival, John Willis asked me uh, what I do for a living. I said, well, the last two weeks I've been driven, driving a dump truck uh, in a refrigerator on a treadmill. And he looked at me and he said, run that by me again. <laughs> that's, yep. That's, yeah. So that's, that's what I'm doing. We have uh, a dynamometer and we, it's a chassis dynamometer. So it's basically a, a vehicle treadmill. And um, that's what I do for a living is drive vehicles on that. And uh, I, we have a giant uh, cold chamber. Uh, so you can park, I think five full-size pickup trucks in there. And it's basically just like a giant refrigerator. Or it goes the other direction. It can get up to 140. Um, that's Fahrenheit, of course. But fortunately, I've only been in there in the cold, which is probably less miserable than the heat. Um, yeah, so been doing that. Uh, I'm out lately. Normally, I'm in a non-refrigerated chamber. And so uh, not too exciting, but a little interesting. Fun to tell people about. Speaking of vehicles, uh, this may not even be anything that you've seen yet, but since we brought you on to talk about technology, I I just happened to catch an article earlier today. Uh, Australia, and I, I want to say it was Mazda, but I might be wrong, just had the first publicly released hydrogen vehicle. Did you see anything mm -hmm. about that? I didn't see that. No. Do you ever I, uh, you ever dug into hydrogen vehicles? And I haven't really. I uh, I know that that's being worked on by a lot of companies and uh is either the, the huge boondoggle or probably going to work someday um i mean just you know it's it's i what i mean by that is i think there's enough money being spent on it either it's going to be this giant shock that people think oh this we thought this was going to work and we blew billion dollars on it or it will actually work uh, can you still hear me yeah 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 just it's a Video little hippie, but it, it's not bad yeah you're good but yeah i it's interesting i don't know you know of course whoever happens to be behind the technology it reminds me of in, in the 90s when uh, hemp became a thing mm -hmm. and everybody was behind hemp and there it, it would it would do everything from cure cancer to improve fertility. And it was literally the best uh, crop that you could grow. I mean, yeah. just, you know, if they were behind Does it, everything. Yes. Every is a magic, a magic weed. Right. And I'm sure it was really good. Absolutely good. And I'm sure hydrogen vehicles are really good as well. But it, it's. Yeah. How does a person do that? How do you balance? Because, of course, I read one article about how incredible the technology is, and then I get all excited. I'm like, oh, this is going to be right. the answer. <laughs> do you ever do that? Do you ever get excited about a new technology? And yeah. Then yep. Yep. And uh, I think for us lay people who aren't developing it, like, it's easy to kind of overthink that because at the end of the day with vehicles, like, there's two forces driving you know, what we are going to be driving in the future, right? One is what people actually want, which is faster, more powerful, more fuel efficient, um, more comfortable cars, right? And then the other is what regulation is pushing for, um, which they're all about, you know, decarbonization and all that sort of thing right now. Um, and those, those two forces combined, I think are going to determine what we have in the future, right? And it depends... You know, if they get this hydrogen thing figured out and this electric vehicle thing figured out in the next few years and we can go electric or hydrogen or whatever, um, we will. If they don't, um, then we won't. And I think that's the people freak out about, uh, 
you know, oh, it's, they're going to make it go hydrogen. Well, they can push us a little bit to uncomfortableness, but, you know, if they're not going to be able to increase, like there's some hard limit. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's 2X, maybe it's 10X on fuel fuel cost or cost per mile for vehicles, right? The They can't come out and say, well, we don't want you to use gasoline anymore. So you got to use hydrogen. It's going to cost you $100 a mile. Um, get up. Like society will just collapse and that'll be it. And, and and they'll walk back, right? Those politicians will get hung up a lamppost. Other politicians will come in and they'll say, yeah, just, you know, use your gasoline. It's fine. That That's the cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, you're right on the money with that. And, you know, be, it's the whole positive and negative reinforcement, you know? Yep. And it, um, if, if you do a little bit at a time over a long period of time, it's much more acceptable than mm -hmm. if, you know, if, if you start with charging 10 cents for, for a plastic bag, and then you say, eventually, we're not going to have plastic bags. And then right. they take them away, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and now we're back to paper. But yeah, no, if, if it's done incrementally, yes. Like you said, though, if you decide all of a sudden to, you know, 10x the cost of fuel, you're going to have a ride on your hands. And right. it, the pressure, right? The societal pressure. And even, you know, even if you know, they inject us all with some drug that makes it totally docile and we just do what they say. Um, there's still a hard limit because our society needs cheap energy. Like the way that we live requires cheap energy and nobody knows how to live differently. I mean, really, you know, in, in mass. And so if that cost went 10 X, like it would just, everything would collapse. And so it can't, or I mean, I don't want to say it can't Right? something terrible happened. All the pipelines could get broken. Like, like bad things can happen, but if somebody just said we're not going to do this anymore, there would be such chaos that it would, there would be societal breakdown, and then we would do something else. And this is something, and I always the reason I brought Andy on tonight, guys, is, and you'll probably see this will be a bit more of a conversation of him and I going back and forth because when we sit down in person, this is the type of things we talk about as well. And and now we have speaking of tech. We have a sex bot in the uh, chat this evening. So, <laughs> oh my. Well, there's a, there's a great use of technology. Oh, uh, we're going to put you in a timeout. We'll see what happens. There we go. So, yeah. Um, darn it. Lost it that fast. That was good. Yeah, yeah. So, we were, um, as far as the technology and the different types of vehicles go and mm -hmm. government mandating each thing, I think recently with California and the... Uh, you know, doing away with small gas powered engines. Yep. I, so when, yeah, when, when they encourage you to go a certain way, they, like you said, you can only do so much because if you do too much, people fight back. And if you mm -hmm. do too little, you don't get anything done. And I don't know, we, we had a very heated discussion the other night on fireside freedom about electric vehicles versus gas power do you, I, I don't suppose you happen to catch any of that uh -uh. no that's okay so I, I basically i was the only one that i don't even know if you i don't want to say i'm pro electric vehicle because i'm not i live in gas right. country right but I, I see that there's practicality in the new technologies as well do you, yep. do you know what i mean yeah absolutely well that's i think those two forces that i was talking about right like we all if i said hey uh tim I've got a new vehicle for you. It seats 13 people. Um, it has an eight foot bed on it. It will tow 40,000 pounds. It gets a hundred miles a gallon, um, cost wise. Uh, 
it's got four wheel drive um, and, and it only costs $20,000. You want one? Well, heck yeah, right? It does How everything. Do oh, and it's got a, a five foot turning radius, right? It'll just, it'll float in place and turn. Um, oh, by the way, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's electric hydrogen produced by, you know, the Woketopia corporation, like, you know, everything we hate. Like, well, if you have, if you have technology, people are going to buy it and other people are going to copy it and it will work. If on the other hand, I say, Hey Tim, I got this thing and it's great for the environment, but it costs you, you know, a dollar 50 a mile to drive it. Oh, and it's a hundred thousand dollars up front. Oh, and you can't tow anything. Oh, and it seats two. The people, you know, some people will buy that for virtue signaling and maybe that works well for some people, but most people will refuse to buy that because it won't do what they want it to do. And I think that's the, I think, a lot, especially in the Liberty community, like the electric vehicle thing, it's so pushed by our, uh, our ideological opponents, so to speak, that we assume that it must be a terrible idea that they're just trying to shove down our throats, which is possible, but also because they're doing that and partly because, I mean, electric vehicles are cool, right? Like there is significant benefits to an electric vehicle. There's significant downsides, but it's a balance. There are advantages to heavy duty diesel pickup truck and advantages to heavy duty diesel pickup truck. And uh, I think a lot of people in our circles can kind of look past the actual benefits of the technology and have trouble with the idea that um, however this gets here, if they can actually make it work, it's going to be like the, the idea that they're trying to push would actually be good. Yes, I agree. And it's the baby, you know, you have the old saying, throw, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, um, and that's what ends up happening. Me. I just see spinning. No, you're, you're, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. We might've, that's okay. I will. Uh, yep. You're good. Andy keep, uh, come back when you're, you're there. But for me, I, it, it again, it's the throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, there, there can be good and there can be bad. And when it comes to say, traditional technology something like uh the you know oh there you are you okay sorry yep i'm adding plug into an ethernet cable i don't know if we'll get at least one step of uh, oh, yeah. technology out of the way that's okay yeah so we're just talking about uh you know throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and, right and, and i get it i totally do because you know for me as soon as the government says something's a good idea there's a big part of me who just all of a sudden goes, Oh, the dander stands up in the back of my neck yeah. and I'm wrong. It's like everything hundred percent, but it, it I, okay. I think technology can be amoral. Uh, you know, the technology itself can be used for good or bad. It can be forced on you or you can adapt it, adapt to it. And no matter how hard a person tries to turn against something, sometimes you have to embrace the new technology. Yep. Yeah, and that's where I think a lot of people in the Liberty side of the world and the homesteading side of the world, I talked about the last time I was on, there's kind of this tendency, I think, to be a bit of a Luddite. And you'd be like, if I had yeah. to sum it up, I, like people kind of say, like, I look at the technology that's right in front of my nose right now, and I think, mm, that's a little too much. I never want to go more than, you know, 90% of what we have today. Well, things keep changing and hopefully improving, but at least changing. And so if you're always trying to be 10% behind where we are today, then you're just, you know, you're drug along by your belt 
in this uncomfortable, bouncy way, if you would just acknowledge and say, hey, you know, I, you know, I was never going to have a smartphone. Well, now I love my iPhone. I was never going to get on Facebook. Well, I still don't like Facebook, but I love Telegram. You know, like yeah. if you're always the late adopter, you're always going to be grumpy and out of sorts about technology. And whether that's digital stuff, you know, the new phone or the new car or whatever it is. And um, you can just miss out on a lot of positive things. And, and usually, like I see this a lot, you guys I work with. You know, oh, I, I want a vehicle that's all manual, manual windows and then manual everything, which really, I get. Um, what do you really, though? You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there's, you know, if I'm going to buy a two door pickup truck um, that's going to be my work truck for the next 30 years. Yeah, I would probably try to find one with manual windows because stuff to break, I'm going to beat this thing up. I don't want to spend money on, you know, parts for it or whatever. Um, and it's two doors. So. I can crank down 50% of the windows myself. But yeah, if I'm driving a, a four-door anything, it's really nice to have electric windows. And yeah, they do break more often. And you know what? That costs, I don't know, $25 for a part and an hour of your time to swap it out if you do your own work or a couple, like you're going to pay for it, but it is a convenience. And so if you never want to pay for convenience, acknowledge that. But also, you know, the same guys that say that to me, like eat out six days a week because they don't want to cook for themselves. And it's like, well, you pay a lot of money for convenience over here. You'd probably be healthier and better off and whatever if you would spend that money over there. You know, when I open up, say, a newer vehicle, you, you open up like my Ram 1500, for instance, mm -hmm. it's a couple years old. You open up the hood, you look in there, and there's there's not a room. There's not room in there to barely store a pair of gloves not that you would but you know there, there's right every, every inch is used right right it's packed and then you go back i have a same model ram 1500 from 20 years ago and there's almost enough room to get in there and lay down yeah which is great and so as soon as you see that your automatic reaction is oh, wouldn't it be nice if there was room to work in there but then you yep. think now I'm, I'm only going back 20 years but if you go back 40 or 50 or 60 years you know you lose things like air conditioning you lose things like power steering you lose things like abs brakes uh cruise control and then uh <laughs> chris dixon says there's a lot of left-handed gloves in my truck yeah there is uh because i always lose my right-handed glove i don't know what's wrong with me but anyway but yeah so we we have this uh nostalgic view of the past right because the yep. past is already past is already gone we only remember mostly the good and it's hard to it's not always hard to embrace technology and we seem to be we like to pick it piecemeal in the anarchist and libertarian community you know we we for the most part everybody's kind of embraced cryptocurrency mm -hmm. uh, you know and alternative social medias but then other times we pick other things that we decide oh, nah i don't like it and i get it i do because right old man yelling at clouds right Right. But um, yeah. when you talked, let, let's slide back a little bit. We talked about cheap energy and I've, I've watched a few interviews. I can't remember the gentleman's name now, but he basically said that modern society would not be, wouldn't exist if it weren't for cheap energy. Oh, absolutely. 100%. What do you think agree. about that? Yeah, I would. I mean, that's, I absolutely hundred percent agree. Like when you just look at the, the, things that we have. I, uh, so I built a, um, uh, home carbonation setup the other day. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever messed with that, but 
looked at it. Haven't done one, but I've looked a lot. Yeah. So I poked, I was going to like two years buy a soda stream and then the kit to get up to a, uh, um, my own CO2 bottle. And I just, I'm cheap and I never wanted to spend the money on that. And so the other day I was like, I'm finally going to do this. And I was looking it up and uh, I found a guy that's like, Hey, you can actually just buy a regulator and a couple fittings that they use for carbonating uh, beer kegs and just carbonate two liters. And I already had a CO2 bottle. I spent like 60 bucks on all the hardware to be able to carbonate my own stuff. So the way I did that and I was looking that up. This was one of these like old blogs from like 2000. that's barely been updated. And the guy was like, I don't remember what he was, some kind of professor, scientist, like, you know, smart guy that was blogging 20 years ago. And he said, uh, he was talking about how much he loves two liter bottles. And he says, if these had existed 2000 years ago, they would have been considered um, a king's treasure. Like this would have been like the most valuable item in the country um, if they'd had a two liter bottle 2000 years ago. And you think about it like, yeah, you're toting your water around inside a sheep's stomach. That somebody had to, you know, turn into a canteen. I, I've never done that. Maybe it tastes delicious. I have a hard time imagining that that is remotely as pleasant to drink out of as a two-liter bottle. Um, and they're they're durable. You know, they're not going to last a hundred years of heavy use. But you can go buy a soda bottle that we throw away and and carry that around for weeks and drink out of it. And that would have been just inconceivable to our ancestors hundred years ago, even. Um, and that happens because we're really good at, you know, the, the cost in energy from, to pull oil out of the ground and turn it into plastic and blow mold it into a bottle is, you know, that would be like, that's more energy than you and I will use in our bodies in our entire life. Probably. I don't know, you know, some astronomical number. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with that, that, uh, the only way to have anything remotely like the society we have today is because we have lots of cheap petroleum-based energy. You ever, um, do you ever dig into, I want I think it's, is it Laszlo's or Maslow's hierarchy of need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maslow. Yeah. Maslow. Thank you. Yeah. So I was talking to my daughter about that the other day and I said, you know, for all, basically, other than a few, maybe a few short periods of time in human history, you know, we've basically been preoccupied with building a shelter, finding food, finding water, and trying to outrun a uh, you know saber toothed tiger, right? Right. So we didn't have any time for self actualization, right? Right. Very top. And for people who don't know, it, it's basically a pyramid of needs that gets smaller and smaller. And as a person, uh, you know, works their way up, if 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 you have your food looked after, then it, I think it's emotional comfort or something. And then at the top, it's self actualization, which would be you know, I don't know, but personal education, leisure time, learning who you are, that kind of stuff. And other than very, very few elite people in the past who had virtual armies to do everything for them, that wasn't an option to anyone even 100, 120 years ago. Yeah. And and even then, I mean, you know, if you went back to Julius Caesar or, um, you know, any king of any country, Cleopatra, any of those people, you know, the psychological desire for power, they might not trade places with you, but I, I guarantee any human being that lived before the 20th century or even well into the 20th century, if you could go back and say, hey, I'll swap you places and lifestyle, um, they would do it in a heartbeat. Like, we Absolutely. live so much more comfortably today. Um, and we don't even acknowledge, like, how 
I mean, if, I, I think it's kind of a fun thought exercise if, you know, somebody's never thought about like, you know, if you're on a dead island and like, what do you, and you start thinking, you're like, oh, well, I would just go, uh, you know, I'd go cut down a, a line and make some rope. And then you're like, wait a minute, what if I don't have a knife? Oh, if I don't have a knife, like I have to find iron ore, mine it, find coal, smelt it, they smelt the iron ore, like the, you know, the work that it would take to come up with a crude, ugly, four inch long, kind of sharp steel knife it would be inconceivable. Like you couldn't even do it lots of places in the world. And I just bought a couple of brand new, um, oh, what's that? Uh, the ones that come in the hard plastic sheets that are just kind of awesome handy knives. Oh, um, I can't think. Yeah. But I, mean, I can't think of the brand name, but I bought those for 12 bucks shipped to my right. door. Right. And just cause we use them for processing chickens. They went on sale. I bought a couple extra. Like that would have, again, that would have been, you know, a fine tool something that you know king's dagger 300 years ago and i can get basically limitless quantities of them uh set on my doorstep in two days anytime i want and if you wanted to you could run down to dollar tree and get it for a buck 25 now it might not be great but it's still probably better than anything you could fashion in the woods by yourself right Right. or if you could do it if you could fashion something better it would take how many man hours to do that? Right. Whereas, and if you if you think about you know if you think about um, just the time of your labor, right? Like, uh, you know, Patrick Rorman sells very yeah. nice knives made out of super high quality steel, right? Um, and I think he sells those for like 160 bucks. So yeah. if you're working in a factory job making 20 bucks an hour, which you know there's people that make less than that, but 20 bucks is not a not a highly skilled wage these days. Um, that's eight hours of your time. Um, and you think about being able to buy, you know, and again, that's something that you know, people would have considered that a fortune a hundred years ago or 200 years ago. Um, and the, the fact that you can trade eight hours of labor for this knife that, you know, King Arthur would never have dreamed of um, is pretty cool. And that's, and, and again, you can get, you know, you can get one for like half an hour of labor. That's not nearly as nice as Patrick's, but will still be one that a lot of people would have been envious of 500 years ago. Absolutely. And yeah, the, that, so, I mean, I don't want to go too far down the capitalism rabbit hole, but I mean, you know, cheap energy, Mm -hmm. modern, uh, maybe not, maybe not crony capitalism that we have right this minute, but then I sound like a, I kind of sound like a um, a communism defender too, because, you know, (laughs) communism works just, not not this version right and i kind of say that a lot about capitalism but that is neither here nor there but but yeah i mean the the labor like chris right here he said days it would take days to fashion a decent cutting implement to do it so you can go to work you know an average salary eight hours and turn it into a gorgeous knife that will last you you a life generations yes literally generations right so let's take that concept and let's go a little bit further. Um, there's so many comments here that I, I don't know if I got them all here yet, guys, but we'll work through them. Now, we'll tie it into this. I always hate going down the road of politics, but Ted says, uh, let's bring this one up here. It's going to be a long, cold winter in Europe. I've already heard they're chopping down trees down to heat themselves. How the hell is that environmentally friendly? Now, I want to tie that into energy getting more expensive. Yep, And I mean, whether it's government mandated or not, I think a lot of people modern, I mean, I think 
in the liberty end of things. We probably get it, but a lot of people outside of that think that making energy more efficient or uh, more expensive will help society in general. But what do you think? So, I politically, I don't think that anything the government's going to try is probably a super great idea. 100%. I think we know that concept, like, and this is actually something I've kind of like struggled with how to think about in my head because I'm naturally a very conservative person. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'm a dad now, so I go around, why is the door open all the time, right? Like, I've become the dad joke. But, um, you know, I like, I like fuel efficient cars. I, I'd have a really hard time driving a really fuel efficient car a bunch of miles, even if I was getting paid a boatload for it, right? Like, just the fact that, you know, I had a job where I was getting paid $100 an hour plus mileage to go drive around in a giant truck that gets eight miles to the gallon on service calls, like, I'd feel uncomfortable filling up, right? Just because I don't, like, I like efficiency. Um, and I think, so I, there's a ton of waste in our societies. Like, I we could, we could cut our consumption down probably 25% and not lower our standard of living at all. Um, you know, just across the board resource use. And I think like on a personal level, like if anybody says to me, what, how should I live my life? Like, I think that's a good idea to try to, you know, figure out how to lower your heating bill, try to drive a little bit fuel, more fuel efficient car. Like you can become much wealthier and much more comfortable, um, by being more efficient. But then I look and see, you know, I work for a big company and we just do this super resource inefficient stuff in order to save time because human labor is yeah <laughs> insulation and clean the filters. Um, human labor is so valuable in our society. Right. Um, and so we, and, and that's good. We want our labor to be productive and useful. And so that leads to, you know, if it, if I'm paying you, 50 bucks an hour to work for me. And you're like, Hey, I need to use an extra, you know, two gallons of gasoline to save myself 30 minutes. <laughs> of course that, you know, 10 bucks of gasoline or eight bucks of gasoline or six bucks or whatever to save me 50 bucks. Duh, of course. Um, and so I, I don't know how to balance that of, I think it would benefit us to use less energy, but there's this, uh, are you familiar with Mr. Money Mustache? No. You gotta check him out. He's so he's not libertarian at all. Um, but he's right. a he kind of helped start the early retirement movement. If you're familiar with that, yeah. Um, he was one of the first two guys to really talk about that, and he has a good he has a blog, has a good writing style. Um, but he uh, he's super efficiency guy, and his his uh, kind of trademark is like uh, punching people in the face about stuff, right? And so he just his whole shtick is hey. The, you know, you got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the United States who have hundred thousand plus dollar a year income and are broke and in debt and miserable, and they could be retired in like 10 years. Like if you just cut, you know, because if you, if you save 75% uh, of your income, then you can never have to work again after seven years. So, it's you know, crazy. if you've got two people on two people making $125,000 a year, young couple in tech jobs, which that's not an unreasonable position, right? You're making a quarter million dollars a year. Yeah. You need to save and grant you're going to pay a fair amount of taxes, but you know, to save 75%, you need to live off of, what would that be? Like 50 grand. Yeah. Right. Which is not a miserable lifestyle. Right. 
So you could people live on less. I know right. it's if, getting harder and harder every year, but people do whether right. you want to admit so, it or not. So if you you know if you're somebody in that situation, you can live off fifty grand for seven years. Then you can live off fifty grand for the like inflation adjusted fifty grand for the rest of your life without ever working again is kind of his whole shtick, right? Um, which is super helpful to think about, even for those of us that aren't rolling in a quarter million dollars a year. Um, but uh, anyway, he's big on efficiency stuff, and he uh, had an article I don't know, a couple months ago where he's talking about you know how he is overly sensitive to that, and he'll see people like idling their car you know, outside while they run into the house and it's like nails on a chalkboard to him. And he's an engineer. So he's like, I did the math, right? If you do that, you know, if you're doing that for an hour every day, that adds up. But if you do that for, you know, 10 minutes, several times a week in the winter, you're talking about like, you know, 80 bucks worth of gas all winter long, which I wish you wouldn't do it, but whatever. It's not actually doing anything bad. Um, so I think that's the, the pull is you have people that are really conservative yep, and they just are graded by inefficient, inefficient use of resources or waste of resources. And then you have people who aren't, who don't care at all. And a lot of times those people are really successful because they go out and they get stuff done. And I'm over here like, well, you know, I've got five, five gallons of paint. And I, maybe if I scrape the bottom out of them and mix them together, I could save buying an extra quart of paint. And you're over like, well, I finished painting an hour ago and I'm on to the next job. And it's true. I'd rather uh, I'd rather go out and work for an hour and make a hundred bucks or whatever it happens yep. to be than worry about and maybe that maybe that's where being married's helped me. You know, she balances me out that way. But right. I would. I'd rather just go work, make a little extra money, and then buy something as opposed to maybe yep. saving. And so, but what I hear you saying is the truth's probably somewhere in the middle. Hey, yeah. Because and, Oh, go ahead. You, you can calculate that. I mean, not that you should on everything, but you can sit down and just do some math on things that you struggle with and realize like, am I actually saving much here or am I not? And am I actually wasting a lot here or am I not? And you can, I won't say I'm doing great at this, but I'm trying to retrain myself towards that better balance. And I think that's very doable. Absolutely. And there's a law of diminishing returns too. You know, I something I used to do quite often, I don't do it, at, I haven't done it in a while, but I used to, get on the phone, call all of our utility companies once a year. And I would talk to them and say, Hey, like, where can we save? And if it was something that, you know, for instance, <laughs> when I was in the States the last little while, I had troubles with my data because they had me on this rolling plan that charged me. I can't remember. It, it was just, it was, it was horrible. It was an exuberant mm -hmm. amount of money. Every day I would run out of data. So then I'd call them back and then, Oh, well, we have this plan. So $15 a day or whatever it was. And You'll be covered. We'd tether your data afterwards. Okay. So then they cut it off again <laughs> because Canadian, U.S., whatever. Right. So I called them a third time and they're like, oh, no, we have this Canada, U.S. plan. I'm like, <laughs> oh, why didn't you tell me this the first? Oh, no. So I end up having unlimited data now through Canada and the U.S. for $5 less a month than I was paying for it just in Canada. So, yep. but on the other hand, I know people who will call and argue with their cable company for three hours to save 15 cents a month. Yep. And, you know, I exaggerate a little bit, but again, there's your, I, like you said, I think there's that big 80% in, in the middle. Right. You can save quick and then you can spend a lot of time on insignificant stuff that uh, you could probably be out doing something else with it. Right. Yeah. Like perfect example. So my dad and my brother both do some work with rental houses. My dad had, and my dad's on the cheap end. My brother's on the, 
your end of spend it and get the job done. Yeah. So my brother, I don't know, a year or two ago, bought a 18 inch paint roller. Um, oh, wow. Have you, yeah. have you used those? No, I've, oh, I've been, well, yeah. this could be an expensive conversation for you. Um, so my dad has this house. <laughs> Somebody moved out. Um, he's trying to turn it over. They uh, kind of dink around cutting in all the paint. They're going to paint the whole house. He gets one room painted in like a morning. I forget what, maybe it was a Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. He gets the room painted and calls my brother and he's like, Hey, do you think you could bring down um, some of your paint gear and uh, you know, help me out here. And so he, dad spent several hours painting this one room with his normal nine inch roller and his like crappy um, uh, roller handle and everything. My brother has hundreds of dollars invested into proper painting equipment. Right. Um, so he comes down with his 18 inch roller with his adjustable purdy uh, roller. Beautiful. Stick. Yep. He paints the rest of the house in like 58 minutes. Um, and then he throws the $18 uh, roller cover away. And my dad's like choking on the $18 roller cover. And my brother's <laughs> like, I just did. I just did this in like seven times as fast as you could have done it. Um, I don't want to waste my time cleaning out this roller cover. I'm going to throw it away. Like, if that makes this job from a, you know, $500 worth of paint job to a $520 worth of materials job, I don't care. I don't like cleaning rollers. I bought this nice thing and I blew through this house like 10 times faster than you would have done it. And dad, I don't think has still bought a 18 inch roller, but I, like that was, I thought the perfect example of if you spend the money and you get the right tool for the job, you can be a little bit wasteful because you save so much time. Right. And yes. That's, that's all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hundred percent. I, yeah, I love that. And that, that is a perfect example of that. Kentucky says he never cleans rollers. I know lots of people, a guy I used to work with. Um, I don't know if he didn't know you couldn't do this, but he definitely never sharpened a chainsaw chain. So he would use it till it went dull, buy another one. And he had a great big bucket of them. Um, <laughs> John was his name and he did it all the time. And for him, I don't know, it wasn't worth it. And I get it, you know, but right. so let's, Let's gaze into our crystal ball then, since we were talking about, um, you know, we, we came here to at least predict the future or I don't know, just, just don't base your stock purchases on whatever right. you're talking about. But let's call it BS about the future. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it will be a hundred percent right unless we're a hundred percent wrong. So, so where do you, where do you see technology in general? And it, I mean, we can kind of try to tie it into, you know, I don't know, voluntarist movement, libertarian, homesteading, all of that, but just day-to-day -day life where do you see what do you think some of the trends are we see coming um so i think personally so like some of the big things that people talk about right like uh lots of changes with vehicles i think that's pretty likely as far as fueling um excuse me i'm not convinced we're going to be able to go electric nearly as fast as the powers that be think we are because of the grid um mm -hmm. i think we actually could do that uh like I think we could replace probably 80% of the cars on the road with current electric vehicles tomorrow and everything would be fine as far as driving cycles and like people being content with their vehicles and whatever. Um, the, I don't think the grid can handle it at this point, at least in the United States. Um, so, and, and maybe I talked with a engineer at work who's pretty left leaning for a long time about this the other day. And we really just went around cool. in circles like and that. came to the, came to the conclusion that, uh, uh, he thinks the people in charge are real competent and will do a good job. And I don't. Um, and that was basically like, I could, we couldn't really move past that. Um, but he's like, Oh yeah, people are working on, on this electric thing. And I was like, well, when, when you say that, do you mean 
Like there are specific people who have names and trillion dollar budgets and are making plans right now. Or do you mean some people realize this is a problem and hopefully somebody important will fix it? Like what I, and I, I never did get a clear answer of what, because I don't know. I mean, I'm not super deep into that. So maybe there are more people with more money thinking about that than, uh, than I know about. But anyway, I think that's a, and again, like we were talking about earlier, if it goes that way, I think it'll be fine. If it doesn't, I think it'll be fine. Um, and then AI, I feel like is the other big thing that people kind of get all woo woo about. Um, and I don't, they've been saying we're going to have artificial intelligence anytime for a long time now. Um, I don't know, like, I'm not worried about artificial intelligence cause I don't think we can create a machine soul. Like that's just kind of my, I guess my religious yeah. beliefs about that. So I'm not worried about some, you know, the singularity and a super intelligent AI that takes over the world or any of that stuff. But even um, just the improving general purpose, I think everybody looks at the idea of a, you know, a, a sentient robot basically and thinks that we're, we're weeks away from that. Right. We're probably a lot longer from that than, uh, than we are, than we think we are. But then the other end of that, like more machine learning and more integration of that, uh, I think is probably per, is, I, I'm certain is progressing way faster than most of us think about and give credit. Um, and just the, the visual recognition stuff. Um, mm, yeah, you know, I, I was talking to a friend this morning uh, after church and he was saying he works for a, a big national tool rental company and they, they just, uh, are in this big kerfuffle, internally because they put in a um they updated their cameras uh that are inside their vehicles watching their drivers and there's a machine learning algorithm that can tell when you pick your phone up and so it's flagging people because they're not supposed to have their phones in their hand so oh, it's flagging wow. their employees for picking up their phones while they're driving and that's tied in from the way you're saying it, i think like they've also got outfacing cameras so they can see what's going on in traffic and all this is getting recorded um and so you know they just rolled this out without telling anybody. And now like half the company's facing write-ups or whatever for violating the policy. Um, but you know, stuff like that, that is when you stop and think about it, like, I mean, that's probably a, probably not a cheap camera on a truck like that, but uh, 200 bucks on the top side, probably that they're spending on a camera to watch their employees and uh, some, you know, probably fair amount, but some subscription to a service uh, monthly and they're able to have a camera that can tell when people pick their phone up, like, you know, stuff like that, I think is just going to keep growing and growing and, uh, going on. And that's, it's happening right before our eyes. And so I think those little things, marginal improvements are going to make a huge change as far as AI. Um, yeah, I don't know. Thoughts on that or other directions. Yeah, so talking, for instance, the computers, right? And I look at, I remember when Tesla started with this and it's the upgradable technology or the downloadable technology. Right. So you have, you have a vehicle that, and I think everything's going to go this way, that it's going to have, you know, update 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever. So mm -hmm. right now you have those existing cameras that are there. Now, I mean, of course we'll play devil's advocate or whatever, but they send a new update. All of a sudden it has infrared. So now it can tell whether you have a temperature or not and you're sick at work right? Or, uh, you know, health sensors or what, whatever it happens to be. I, I'm wondering if that's going to speed things up or, you know, wh where that's going to head. 
Yeah. And so I guess one of my, like, what I think is a little bit of a turning point and I mean, I can give you a stump speech about it, but I guess what I really think is probably going to happen um, is you're going to, I think there'll probably be a bifurcation, right? Because if you think about what technology does, it replaces, um, it replaces human labor and does something that we used to do, or it allows us to do something that we never did before. Right. So yep. the grain mill that grinds wheat and makes flour replaces some woman sitting there rubbing two rocks together to make flour for hours on end. Right. The dryer replaces someone, uh, hanging sheets on a string to dry them. Um, the airplane allows human beings to fly, which is not something we did before. And so I, I saw that question. I'll, yeah. I'll, I started it for um, after. I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, when we look at digital technology, information technology, what it's doing is still that same thing. It's allowing us, it's taking over functions we used to do, or it's allowing us to do functions that we never did before. So, you know, uh, a digital calendar reminder, right, that pops up on your phone and says, hey, you have a meeting in 15 minutes. That is taking over something that secretaries used to do. Used to right. be you'd have a secretary that would pop in, hey, boss, you got a meeting in 15 minutes. Now his phone just dings. Um, a, uh, uh, you know, really high quality 4K video is something that didn't exist 100 years ago, right? That's a, a new <laughs> thing. Um, and so I think the direction is we'll just continue having machines that will do work for us. And at a slower rate, like that will happen quicker. And at a slower rate, they will allow us to do things that have never been done before. Like talk from the United States to Canada over video. Fair, Yeah, I see where you're getting at. Whereas, yeah, the, um, yeah, the, the, the new, the new, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but completely new innovations may come a little right. bit lower, but the marginal improvements will actually happen. Right. Faster. Well, and not even marginal and new innovations, but like there's a difference between, right. So, so cars today are safer than they were now or were 20 years ago or 40 years ago. So right. it's safer to drive faster. So more people drive 90 miles an hour um, yes, on the road do. than they used to because they feel safer. They are safer. Their cars don't bounce around as much, etc. cetera. Um, and we can keep improving that, which is marginal. I guess that's not the greatest example. But then if we were to you know, go to hovercraft, that's a completely new thing that's not been done before. And so... We also might come up with some new tire technology that's never been done before, but it doesn't allow us to do a thing that we didn't used to do. Um, or when, you know, when the internet was invented and people started communicating uh, with video over the internet, like that was a new thing, not a improvement. Whereas just text messaging is basically just an improvement over letter writing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I was always a big fan of uh, Marshall McLuhan and when, and this was something that uh, he talked about a fair bit and his whole concept was, you know, when humanity learned to fire a gun, they forgot how to shoot a bow and arrow. Yep. So the further down the, the rung, well, no, I don't want to say ladder, but the further down the road we go with technology, mm -hmm. if the plug was ever pulled or if there was a huge, you know, uh, backwards migration in technology somehow, I think we'd have a hell of a time adopting or adapting. Sorry. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and that you know, I've like we're into prepping, so I've sure. had this conversation. Oh, it's going to be Tiatwaki and the EMPs and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, that could happen. Millions, probably billions of people will die um, if we make it. If I make it, like 
you know, I've got some books on how to do stuff. I know how to process animals. Like I can imagine living that way. Um, but the, I guess the, the thing with that too, though, is the idea of sticky technology. So, you know, if a giant EMP goes off, all of North America is lights out, grid's gone, computers are dead, right? We will still have all the physical stuff we have. Yes. So, you know, I guarantee, like, I live out in the country. Guy next door to me is a big motorhead. He's got old classic cars. I'm a mechanic. I've got a bunch of crap. <laughs> like, um, you know, in that scenario, I'm not sure that we would, but I'm sure that the people that I know that I could get to their houses on foot, we could come up with a running gasoline vehicle in six months, probably yeah. off of crap we have piled around, right? We'd figure out how to bypass the electronics. You know, I'm sure my neighbor's got carburetors somewhere, you know, carbureted vehicles. Like we could make that work without electronics. Um, we'd still have all of our knives. We'd still have, you know, our bicycles would still work. Um, our insulated houses would still stay decently warm. Like, you know, all the physical stuff is not going to go away. Um, even if there's a backwards migration and, and I don't think that that sort of like, you know, into the world scenario is very likely, but yeah, me either. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, and, and it's the same thing with, you know, the idea that like you learn to fire a gun and you forget to fire a bow or forget how to fire a bow. Um, I feel like there's kind of a ratchet effect of certain things become more and more reliable over time. So like, you know, 50, 60 years ago, it was not uncommon for the average car owner to have to work on their car to keep it moving down the road. Right. right. Like if you wanted to own a car, you're going to, or a tractor maybe is a better example, right? You're, you're farming in 1950. Um, your neighbor says, Hey, you ought to get one of these, you know, uh, eight in tractors They're they're fantastic. You need one. Well, I don't know. They look finicky and I have to learn how to adjust points and a carburetor and, and, you know, keep all that grease stuff on hand and, and extra gasoline and engine oil. And I got a horse and I got a moldboard plow that he can pull and I know how to feed my horse and all that. Well, today, you know, the idea that a farmer wouldn't be able to work on a tractor is ludicrous because they grow up doing that. Right. Right. And tractors are hundreds of times more reliable overall like yes. they might they might no, not right. run but you have far less points to work or far less points that are going to need regular maintenance and work than they did 50 years ago and so the tractor has basically ratcheted up to where it's a very trustworthy technology and now maybe we're throwing gps on them and maybe that's flaky but because the tractor the underlying tractor technology is so reliable and the farmer knows how to drive if his gps autopilot fails like he just unplugs it and drives the tractor and yeah. so i think there's i think that's a huge thing that people forget when they complain about new technologies is yeah the, the cutting edge stuff is going to always be cutting edge and kind of unreliable but then the stuff that was cutting cutting edge 20 years ago is now super reliable and never breaks and just totally integrated in our lives and unlikely to ever go away barring some you know world-ending catastrophe I use the microwave for an example. My parents, I was I was in grade one, so that would have been 1987. They bought a used microwave. The thing weighed, it took two guys to carry it. They bought mm -hmm. a used microwave from a police officer in our town, and they paid like three or $400 for it in 1987, I think. Yeah, 1987. Yeah. You know, you can buy a microwave now for 
$59 that does right. everything that did that you know uh my three-year-old nephew four-year-old nephew could carry you know right and, and inflation ingested that's like 10 percent of what it was for the used yeah. one yeah and do you ever look at survive and you're talking about you know the older ones and people so the simpler technologies and i and i do and i there, there's a big part of that but i think there's survivorship uh survivorship bias as well in there because you know you look at like i look at my grandmother who babied most of her appliances and they lasted mm -hmm. 40 or 50 years. And, and that's true. But what we don't see is the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of old appliances that went to the landfill. We only focus on the ones that are still there because right. they're still there, right? Yeah. And some of that too is a design choice because our materials and our design processes are so much better and so much better understood today than in the past that, I mean, planned obsolescence is a thing. Absolutely. It is. And yeah. Honestly, like for everybody that gripes about, you know, for every every person that gripes about, oh, I wish I could buy this and it lasts the rest of my life. There are 10 or 20 people that don't want something that will last the rest of their life. Like they want to get a new refrigerator so that it will be stylish. They want to get um, a black microwave when they remodel their kitchen in 10 years. <laughs> um, yep. and, and I don't think that's an entirely bad thing. Like I like to freshen things up too. Um, and so the like manufacturers are intentionally making things to meet what the customers want. Plus, I mean, I do think that there's something to the idea that they plan in obsolescence so that it will break and you'll have to buy a new one. Right. But that's hundred percent a design choice. We could build um, much more reliable stuff if there was any demand for it, but there isn't because it would be more expensive and uh, nobody, nobody wants to pay for that. Right. Like, a few people do. And in our community, it's a lot of people, right? Like if I yeah. said, Hey, would you buy a $4,000 refrigerator? If it had a 40 year warranty, 40 year total replacement warranty on it. Cause they expect it to last that long with no improvement. I bet dozens of people in this group would be now how many to actually fork over the four grand. Mm, I don't know. But a lot of us would say, yeah, I want one of those. But you know, if you go out and ask the general public that, and they'd be like, well, so is it upgradable so that it'll look different? And you know, it could be, but if it's not, like, well, what if, what if in 10 years they invent, you know, an auto shopping refrigerator that can order milk for me? Like, I'm going to want one of those. And, and again, that is kind of a design choice. Like we could build things to be more uh, upgradable and repairable. Uh, but that makes them bulkier. That makes them less sleek. Like these are all trade-offs that we make as a society. And by and large, most of our society is pretty happy with the trade-offs we have. I'm not necessarily, but I think we have to recognize that it's not just like this inevitable. Um, this is the way it has to be in a high tech society. Like as a culture, we've made these choices that we like, you know, shiny new disposable things. Form over, over function, right? Right. I mean, and, walk into any laundromat and if you want to see something that's built to last, that isn't real yep. fancy, go yep. in and look at all of the commercial grade appliances and, you'll see what, you know, a uh, $5,000 washing machine looks like. Right. And it's not pretty, you know, right. um, there's a company, I never know how to pronounce it, but it's M-I-E-L-E. -E. They're an appliance company. They, apparently their stuff lasts 10 to 15 years minimum. Yeah. Miley or my, my yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, whatever. But so they're, but you pay an arm and a leg for it. And there's yep. the other thing is for all the people. Okay. You go back to planned obsolescence. And for those who don't know, the whole idea was behind the incandescent light bulb. 
And the original ones were supposedly built so well that they lasted to the point where the company would have went out of business because nobody needed to buy them anymore. So that's a, that's a portion of it is, you know, if, if you're supplying a product, and that's why I always tell people service businesses are um, a little better sometimes in product businesses, because you can sell yourself out of a market if you don't have something else to replace it with. Yep. But if you want something that's going to last decades upon decades, you're going to have to pay for it big time. And not everybody wants to pay that kind of money either. Yep. You know, go back to the microwave. So the reverse of what we just did was, um, you know, 79 or say $50 today, you know, was $5 back then or whatever. Well, if you take that $400 microwave, you take that $400 and bring it to $2022, that's probably $2,000. I mean, of course, I'm just pulling numbers out of right. math. You get the idea, right? So right. you're going to pay for something like that. And the odds are that you can buy a $1,500 microwave that will last longer than the $79 microwave, right? Like yes. the option is probably out there and most people don't seek it out because they'd rather buy the $79 microwave and throw it away and replace it in a couple of years. Um, and that's where, like we were talking earlier about, you know, reducing energy use. Like, I think that's where we all have to kind of take a hard look at what we really think. Like, is that, that seems wasteful. Is that a terrible way? And is there just maybe, maybe our focus should be more on recycling and reuse and trying to make things yeah. modular. So when this breaks, it can go to a recycling factory, be pulled apart by robots and reuse, right? We're going to just reuse the chassis because we have a process to blast the paint off and repaint it. And we don't have to smelt all that steel again and, and stamp out more steel. We can easily recycle panels and we'll focus on, um, just like sort of modular things like actually speaking of appliances um there was a i saw a, a very expensive refrigerator a couple months ago that had um like a glass front so it was a steel chassis of course but then the doors had glass panels on the front um but they were removable and their their uh, spiel for it was that you could change colors so you could actually like pull all these glass panels off and go from you know like a glossy white to a frosted blue or whatever and refresh it um and it looked nice like i really liked the way it looked it was like thirty five hundred dollars (laughs) which of course i'm not gonna spend that on a refrigerator when i can buy one for 250 dollars used which is what i do but you know if we had more of that mentality of like we're gonna um we're gonna you know any refrigerators are a good example right like 98 percent of refrigerators are like three sizes Right. Right. They're very, very similar. So you could theoretically reuse pieces off of those pretty easily because they're all designed to fit in the same size hole. Um, Things like cars, that's a lot less common because every manufacturer makes this a little different and that a little different every year to try to get people to buy more cars. I I know. And everybody knows us, so they don't we're not here praising the government or, you know, we don't, we're just, yeah, having a conversation down this road. But I know in the European Union, they have a legislature on um, end of life or full life of products Mm -hmm. so that they, they need to be built to, to an extent to be, you know, disassembled, 
turned into something or whatever, you know, there has to be an end of life plan for all their products. Now I, of course, I think the government should stay the hell out of all of that stuff, but that the sentiment of that is not a bad thing, you know, uh, now, and to tie it into what Chris Dixon says, how much stuff is actually recycled. Now there's the problem. Therein lies the catch, right? Yeah. Is maybe fo- and if we focused on because things like metal, things like glass are infinitely recyclable. But unfortunately, things like paper aren't. You take paper and and somebody can shoot me here if I'm absolutely wrong, but from what I understand, if you take paper and cardboard and recycle it, what you get is things like drink trays. You know, mm-hmm. those kind of are egg cartons, right? Which is which is cool, but it loses its um you know, uh, the law, again, law of diminishing returns, the more you go right. down that road, the the less practical that is at the end. But then if you want to build something that is infinitely recyclable, you're going to need to use more raw materials up front. <laughs> so yep. who, who wins, who loses, where, where do you go with that? And I, and this is another way where I think technology can help. Like, I think there are a lot of one thing that often gets missed in our circles is the the ways that information technology can sort of like take us, you know, we're going this way and all the libertarians want to go, you know, way off, totally different direction. And that's just not going to happen. But we might actually be able to veer a little that way. And so the reason, one of the reasons that recycling is so uh, actually uncommon, right, is because it, is a fairly high labor my understanding it's a fairly high labor thing to sort stuff and and clean stuff and identify like oh this jug has milk in it still but that one has is dry so this one can be melted down but that has to be treated differently um and so i think it's very possible that robots could take that over whether that's you know cameras watching and just being able to filter out uh goods on a uh um uh, a, a line, right? A conveyor belt or actual robots picking it up and moving it. And so if we can find something that right now we have to pay people $8 an hour to recycle. And the only people that do it is uh, to actually do the physical recycling. The only people that do it is governments because they're actually losing money, paying that wage. Well, maybe if we can get to where you can have a robot that does it for really cheap, then it actually becomes cost effective and we actually start recycling more. Um, and so I think that's a huge, another example of that I think we'll see um, micro uh, micro farming stuff like with uh, small robots because the number of people in agriculture has been declining. I know this is kind of a complete uh, oh, no, left turn it. here, but it's all right. um, the number of human beings involved in agriculture has been plummeting for a hundred years. Yes. Like, uh, bigger, this, bigger land masses, smaller right. and smaller but, but companies. Are up controlled. until like 1900, like 80 to 90 percent of all human beings worked in agriculture. Right. Which, like, so, 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 all the priests, all the the kings, all the soldiers, all the the uh, merchants, all the blacksmiths, all those people were drawn out of 10 or 20 percent of the society, and, or at least you know a lot of people were doing two things, but. You had this enormous amount of human energy dedicated towards agriculture. And with mechanization, we've got that to where in the U.S. it's 2% of human population is doing um, agriculture, which frees up millions of people to do other things. Some of them do useful stuff. Some of them don't. Um, Yeah, that's a different problem. Um, But we're still having now we're having, you know, the whole and you can read about this, right? There's 
the average age of farmers in the U.S. is like 60-something. Um, and I think some of those statistics are sort of made up and misleading. But there's definitely like not boatloads of people wanting to go into agriculture. And so the way that we have, because we've not had stuff that can be autonomous, the way we've dealt with that in the U.S. is bigger and bigger machines, right? right. We used to have five guys on little 50-horse tractors, you know, doing five fields at a time. Now you have one guy on a 500 horse tractor um, doing a giant field, you know, back to back to back. And so we have, we've scaled up because you still had a human being, still had to have a human being touching everything. And I think we'll see autonomous stuff um, become more common to where, I don't know if this will happen because I don't think there's a lot of pressure for it. And I don't think farmers would like it. Um, just on the face of it. But, you know, if you get to where instead of having a 500 horse tractor that you go spray your fields with, you have 500 little robots and they run around and they just inject chemicals into every plant, right? And they just run, they're on 24 hours a day. They come back to a solar station with batteries. And so the job of being a farmer, a conventional ag farmer, moves much more towards being a robot technician than being... (laughs) an actual farmer, right? Or, you know, now instead of one guy farming, I don't know what a guy, an average, like what the actual, you know, skilled farmer to land ratios, but it's probably 500 to a thousand acres per skilled farmer. Now, instead of that, you get to where one skilled farmer manages 20,000 acres and he spends his whole day driving around, looking at the soil, looking at the plants, you know, pulling out his iPad and, and saying, Oh, Hey, you know, send, you know, field team B needs to up their nitrogen dose 38% on, you know, uh, uh, plot seven, that sort of thing. And then he's got another group of guys working for him. They're just robot technicians and, or, you know, manual laborers moving chemicals around and moving parts in and out, which those jobs are more appealing to a lot of people than farming, right? Bailing hay or whatever. Especially in our modern society. Yes. Right. Yeah. Today. Um, And so you get, you know, I think that is where, like, I don't think Regen Ag is going to be able to completely displace conventional agriculture sure. um, in my lifetime. But I do think, you know, lots of conventional people want to reduce chemical usage, want to reduce uh, runoff, etc. And so if somebody comes out and starts managing that way, and maybe, you know, maybe Bill Gates does this with all the farmland he's bought up. Because he's a tech guy. Quiet, and... Andy. You're not supposed to say anything good about <laughs> it. Stop it. Yeah. But, you know, and, and maybe that bombs. But then if those companies get kickstarted, maybe that becomes a thing that can happen. Um, and other people take on. And, the you know, the 30-year-old grandson of the 80-year-old farmer says, hey, maybe this is a, a decent idea. So I think that stuff like that, like that's one of my predictions, is that we'll see these small-scale um, robotic managed farming practices that will reduce herbicide usage and you know maybe they're little flame weeders that blast uh weeds instead of spraying glyphosate on them or maybe they just spray glyphosate on the weed instead of dousing the whole field or you know i think we'll see improvements in that and you think about what what is crazy about technology heading to the future i is the stuff we can't even see right because you're talking so you're, you're right. sitting there talking about the farmer getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? That's how we looked at it. So my brain automatically goes to autonomous vehicles because 
you know, the farmers, I mean, they work 16, 18, 20 hours a day sometimes when the crops yep. are coming in. So here I'm thinking, well, you know what? You could have five or six. You, you could have a, one guy driving one and controlling five or six other combines, yep. which is cool. But all you're really doing is, what, building a bigger baseball bat at that point. Right. right? But when you think about, say, drones or little whatever, I don't even know. Maybe right. we don't even know what we're going to call them yet. But here's what I'm thinking, of course, is maybe you have one that comes and tests the soil. So now instead of taking the aggregate of an entire field and then going out and spraying that entire field for maybe right. the worst patch, now all of a sudden it has zones. So they can go out and say, okay, nitrogen's good here. So we don't yep. need fertilizer right there. But this section here, you know, this this 14 square meters, because I'll use uh, the, the, the queen's measurements there for a minute. You know, <laughs> you they just go in and they inject a little bit right at the root for each plant, right? right? Where and maybe maybe you don't have an infestation of I don't know crabgrass or whatever the hell it happens to be, right. so it doesn't need it right there. So it like you said, it goes over and maybe maybe they're small enough that they can go down it and they recognize the difference between a seedling and a weed at this size, and it just goes and it's gone. Yep. And 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 what what aren't we even thinking of, right? Yeah. So yeah, and that the the other like kind of dividing line too is the difference between information collection which i think tends to be um at the moment like we're doing a lot with information technology and that's that gets done in a way we can't imagine versus physical work which has like we have a better understanding of the physical constraints of that sort of thing so to the example you just gave right now you can sign up for a service that uses satellite imagery to do what you're talking about and so they they just tap into I don't know who's probably the government's satellite and they get satellite images of fields and then they use machine learning to analyze that. And they come back and they say, well, you know, we know the, we know where this was. So we know, you know, how much uh, precipitation you got this year. We know what your average temperature has been. And we look at the color and the thermal uh, reflectivity and all this stuff. And we can say like, Hey, this spot that we know is lower, we know it's got more moisture. It's a brighter green it doesn't need extra fertilizer because it's got lots of moisture. But then this spot up here is struggling like, and they'll break fields down into, I don't remember if it's by the acre or how they do it. I've, I've never paid for this service. I don't grow row crops, but um, you know, and they're doing that all with satellites. They don't need drones flying around. Um, that could just, be all automated too. Right. 100%. You could have autonomous vehicles. Right. With and so machine, that's, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that's, so on. that's, that's the difference though, right. Is because the, the, um, the information collection is more easily automated because you have all these like informations just floating out in the universe, right? This visual stuff, if you can point a camera at it, you can see it. And then some nerd in San Francisco can, <laughs> can figure out what's happening there with math basically, but physically putting chemicals on the ground has physical constraints. If it's raining, that affects that. If it's 105 degrees out, that affects that. Um, if you want to put physical chemical on 100,000 acres, you have to have something within pretty close proximity to that 100,000 acres at some point. You know, like there are these physical constraints that you can, you know, maybe we get better with hovercraft and we can spray chemicals faster or whatever, but you still have to go everywhere unless we figure out like the odds that we figure out a way to just like, Hey, everybody go in your house and we're going to blanket the whole planet and glyphosate for, you know, 
45 minutes or what, like that sort there's of thing. A bigger, not, there's a bigger bat there though. That's a, right. that's a bigger bat solution. Right. right. But that's, I think that's a huge, um, like help in thinking about that is like things that have physical constraints that you physically have to do are a lot harder nuts to crack than information stuff. 